This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction. This is your source for the latest technology trends shaping the world, along with tips and strategies for maximizing your career in tech. We also bring you interviews with the leading women in the tech industry, talk to youth who are rapidly building their tech knowledge, and review business solutions that will give you insights on how technology is solving business problems. Now, here's your host, Jennifer Didier. Welcome, and thank you for joining me on Tech in the Right Direction. I'm your host, Jennifer Didier, President and CEO of Directions Training. Each week, we talk with industry experts about technology trends that are emerging and changing businesses today, the career journey of IT professionals, understanding the world of women in tech, as well as talking to our youth that are rapidly building their technology skill sets. We also review case studies that provide insight into how technology is solving business and world problems. I'm excited about our guest today, so let's get moving in the right direction. This week in our Tech Trends segment, I will be talking with Jim McLennan. Jim is a Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer at IDEX Corporation, an applied solutions business that sells highly engineered products to customers in a variety of markets worldwide. McLennan has responsibility for corporate IT service offerings for the IDEX portfolio of business units and drives innovative thinking through strategic initiatives that leverages information and technology as growth drivers for the industrial manufacturing space. McLennan has over 25 years of experience in a variety of business models and markets, translating strategic drivers into tactical plans and tangible results. His career spans multiple industries, including real estate, property management, building construction, maintenance services, pharmaceuticals, consumer durables, industrial manufacturing, and consumer packaged goods. McLennan started his career as a software development consulting firm, which gives him a unique insight to vendor relationships and a role of information and technology in creating value. McLennan has a Bachelor of Science degree in Electrical Engineering from the University of Notre Dame and an MBA in Marketing from DePaul University. He regularly publishes his observations and insights on the intersection of business and technology. Welcome to the show, Jim. I'm so excited to have you on today. Well, thanks very much, Jennifer. I'm really glad to be here. Great. Well, let's get started. Can you share with us a little bit about you and your path in technology? I think it's an interesting path. I started off um, in my professional career. <clears throat> I started off as a uh, uh, in a very small company. You would call it a startup these days. It was a, a it was an IT products company. We we, we sold software. And uh, I always thought that gave me a really different grounding than someone than someone who came up in the corporate world. Uh, but uh, after about eight years of that, I flipped into corporate, uh, more classic corporate stuff. And that's been the majority of my uh, career, except for the last, I'd say, seven years, where this current job 
I've been able to really sort of morph the definition or what I'm able to do as a CIO, a chief information officer. So I started off in a non-traditional way, kind of went traditional for a while, and I find myself now back into a, a non-traditional role. That's great. Wow, that's that's a nice start to your career where uh, I think you got in the trenches and you really learned about technology, which is great. Well, um, I, I think really it was about, I mean, when you're a product company, you learn that it's all about you know the end user of the system, who, who's going to try to get value out of what you're doing. And you mm-hmm. since back in the day, we were trying to sell our stuff. And, and uh, I don't know that classic corporate trained folks understand that idea of selling their ideas and selling um, change. Um, and it's, it's marketing as much as selling. There's a lot of education involved, but it's, it's a skill set that most don't have. Yeah, and they look at it from, you look at it from the eyes of the user, right? Like you said. So you're really getting a feel of what that experience is going to be like and describing that, you know, maybe in marketing, but still getting the end user to feel this is what I'm going to get. Right. That's great. So, um, you know, you've been in technology a long time. What are some of the trends that you're seeing today? I think today the biggest trend I see that just fascinates me is the generational shift. Um, a, a whole different uh, class of um, people that are have a different level of experience with digital technology are coming now into the workforce and uh, have been uh, coming for a while. People talk about this a lot. Um, Their expectations of what uh, technology or digital can do for them is um, completely different than their predecessors. And really, it it hits the legacy folks. The the legacy folks that are um, my age uh, and and, and running companies or, or running processes inside of companies are, are not ready for the rigor that, that those digital expectations uh, um, demand. That is fascinating. So tell me more about that. What are you seeing them do differently than the legacy um, you know, users? Well, for one thing, they absolutely want to speak in data, and they're very much more comfortable with having a not face-to-face uh, conversation. They want to come to a transaction or a connection with a business uh, uh, um, pretty much armed to the teeth with all the information that they could possibly get so they can have a, a close the deal or, or, or make a final decision type of conversation uh, as opposed to coming in um, um coming in with, with, with just, hey, I want to have a conversation. No, mm-hmm. they want to be able to go to a website and educate themselves and understand availability and understand basic features. Now, the products that we sell, for example, I'm an industrial manufacturer. They're highly complex products, and you can't buy the stuff without a conversation, but mm-hmm. you sure can come to the table really much more highly uh, educated, and that's the expectation. What that requires, therefore, is you know, the company to gather up this engineering knowledge, gather the data, past performance, um, different applications, and and put it out there in a way that it's self-service. I can go through this and learn about your products without having anybody explain it to me. That's a massively different skill set that most people have. Two big parts, a lot of rigor in the data and completeness in the information about your product, and then the design and communication skills to be able to communicate that complexity in a way that 
people can understand without being in the same room with you. Yeah. I read a stat I read a stat just recently that said today seventy percent of buying decisions buying decisions are made prior to somebody ever talking to another person. Yeah, so, and usually those well uh, until recently people would blow that off by saying, well, you're always talking about consumer products. Mm-hmm. But um, the stuff that we're seeing and the work we're doing is the, those expectations are coming into the B2B world uh, as well. And it's, uh, it's really throwing B2B companies uh, for a loop, especially the, the small to medium-sized ones. Mm-hmm. Telling the story on your website uh, in complete form, like you said, so that they can gather all that information prior to ever picking up the phone is so critical to the success of smaller, medium-sized companies. That That is amazing. It's a big shift. Well, yeah, it's a big shift, and, and, and you hear about the, oh, you know, we don't have the skills to do this stuff or the big skills gap. A lot of it is not just robotics and artificial intelligence. It's uh, a higher level design and communication skills as well. Mm, very neat. So can you share with me some of the solutions that you've seen either in your organization, that's something that your team has developed or outside in business um, that has really made a difference in solving business problems? We see so many different areas that technology makes a difference. I'd love to kind of dive into maybe an example. Well, actually, I I think about this area as more not what we did, but how we did it. Uh, mm. You know, over the years, there have been many different um, issues that have popped up. That you know, having the ability to to build a report or build a database uh, really helps solve the problem. So, so I'm actually more interested in talking about <clears throat> with the folks in my businesses. Um, how they're going to do something, not necessarily mm-hmm. what they're going to do. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is uh, instead of going out and buying technology and just implementing it, um, I, I like the ability, I, I like the conversation that says, let's try to build something. And mm-hmm. it does a couple of different things. One, it helps you keep it simple because a lot of people try to automate a mess by automating, they, they try to fix a mess by automating it. Mm-hmm. And that just results in an automated mess. They don't really <laughs> think about the process. And so doing something from scratch, at least for a pass one, helps people understand you know, what the true nature of the problem is uh, and, and how to come up with a very simple you know, 80-20 solution. By that I mean you know, I want to do 20% of the work and get 80% of the results. Yeah. And thinking about things simpler, and it also is a sneaky way to get that technical skills training up. You learn enough uh, of the next little bit of technology to be dangerous with it, to really understand how it applies. If you see a great opportunity, then you can either devote a lot more time to make it nicer or just pitch the homegrown solution and go buy something. Mm-hmm. But now you're not investing, you know, hard dollars and capital and, and a lots of, you know, huge amounts of technical debt just to to solve small problems. And so it's a different way of using technology to think about how to solve problems and to do it in a more leveraged way. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense to really think through. Um, I love that you said that, you know, 
just to automate and if it's a mess already and just to automate you just get an automated mess and people don't understand that it really is important to plan and to think about the solution think about what problem it's solving not how you do it because the steps are there and you know technology has that but really look at the bigger picture and step back to see what that solution is going to look like, because then you have critical thinking in there yeah. and you start to really, you know, dive into maybe even solving some problems before they even occur. Now, so I would call that a first first level uh, way to approach the problem, because that's a pretty classic way of doing it. I'm Again, I've got a manufacturing background. And so if you're a, a, a student of lean manufacturing, mm-hmm. they always reach about this idea of you automate things last, you always go for a manual pro- uh, solution to a problem just to simplify things. But uh, too often people are uh, intimidated or afraid to try to now apply technology to something and you can really go to that next level. Um, say you're trying to optimize your supply chain or, or reduce your inventory or, or you know do things like that. There's only so much a manual system can do and if you have done the right thing and demessed the problem as much as you can, now the ability to say, um, and now my experience says this is the time to start applying technology. Now you get that double whammy of goodness type thing. So it's it's, it's the other the other sort of good thing to tr- to think about here is uh, let's let's not let's not apply too much technology to something. But let's also apply, you know, find the right time to apply the technology because you really can uh, get uh, 10x and 100x type of uh, return on investment if you do technology right. You just can't see it as a panacea. You have to understand how it fits in the in the big picture. Yes, very true. Very true. So um, as you work with your teams to think that way, what are some of the challenges um, you've experienced when creating solutions? Well. It, it's, it's a couple. One is certainly time pressure. Uh, uh, and certainly with, I don't know, maybe it's, it's the way I think, but a lot of, a lot of people have a tough time saying no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Say yes to everything. And yeah, I could probably figure, I could probably figure, yeah, I could probably figure out how to do that. <laughs> um, and so time pressure is one uh, uh, thing. Um, and, and certainly for, for many companies, you know, you're already lean, so it's, it's very tough to, to find the time to do that extra stuff. And then some of these skill changes are pretty abrupt. Um, it's, you can't just look at any IT person or any technology person and say, hmm, you've been, you've been lifting servers and, and hooking up uh, wires on the network for a long time. Why don't you just become a report writer now? <laughs> uh, or even the programmers that over... Over time, there have been not a a lot, but a number of really interesting uh, paradigm shifts in the way uh, technical architectures, data architectures work. And sometimes those uh, changes in a skill you've developed over a long time and you're really stuck in your ways, it's hard hard to pivot. And uh, uh, those are the things that usually get in the way. No, that's, that's so true. The time pressure thing is so so true where people just say yes and then they can't meet the deadlines because they can't put the due diligence or the time into it so uh, very very good example um, so you know technology is moving at such a rapid uh, pace 
Um, what kinds of problems do you think we're going to see uh, technology solving in, let's say, the next few years? I think technology, in a, in a <clears throat> very interesting way right now, is, is creating problems more than it's solving. Mm -hmm. um, you know, more automation. Everybody's throwing automation at stuff. There's a broader societal impact. I think that a lot of times we're doing, um, we, we look at the, the, how do I say this right? The, we should do less work that is enabling uh, uh, things like smartphones. We've enabled an awful lot of stuff with smartphones. We've done enough. Just stop. We right. should actually um, uh, put more effort into disabling things. And by that, I mean disabling job loss, right? So I can automate and automate and automate and automate. And yes, I'm taking cost out, but yes, I'm also uh, very quickly outrunning my ability to re uh, recreate jobs at that level. <clears throat> and it'd be much more, to me, much better if we would focus more on um, uh, uh, creating uh, creating jobs as opposed to disabling jobs. Mm -hmm. I think that's that you hit the nail right on the head when you said you know that it's creating more challenges than solving more problems right now. The amount of data that's out there, the amount of distractions through data, is just incredible. I, I'm amazed as to how we keep up you know you've got seven different devices you've got um and everything is calling your attention at the same time so really to simplify it um is really good advice yeah it, um, it, it's funny the way you describe it is perfect i mean i mean the advances in technology lately have been adding to our um, burden of stuff mm -hmm. that demands our time it's not helping at all actually we should turn off a lot of these uh, things, and we get a lot of free time back. We, it, it, it's that's why I say it's almost a society. It is definitely a societal thing because people spend more time interacting with uh, electronic things than they interact with living things, and it's um, <laughs> it's an interesting uh, thing. That's enough. That's enough enabling. <laughs> The, absolutely, absolutely. Oh my gosh, it's like you cannot walk anywhere and see somebody not connected, right? They're even driving and looking at their phones. They're walking, looking at their phones. They're sitting, looking at their phones. It just never ends. And I tell you, it's like your mind is just so full. So yeah, things have to slow down a little bit. Um, so, you know, as, as we look at all of this technology, it's doing some great things, and in other, other ways, it's really causing a burden. What would be the best piece of advice or lesson learned uh, regarding uh, technology solutions from a customer satisfaction uh, side that you can share, share with us? What do you sure. see, you know, what do you see as lessons learned? What could we do differently? I think the biggest lesson learned uh, lesson learned is really just talk to your customer. If you're running a business, talk to your end customer and find out the problem that they want solved and solve it for them. And if you're if you're working inside of a corporation, then talk to the people in other departments that use these systems that you put out there and find out what they're doing or, or what about the system sort of drives them nuts and fix that. You can get so much done. You don't have to come up with wild new ideas. 
You don't have to come up with, uh, you know, let's in install the latest and greatest piece of technology. It doesn't matter. They're probably not using the stuff they already have. And you can make a significant change in how people's lives are going, you know, every day during their job if you could just fix some of their core problems. Um, that's one. The other one is, is really understand it's sort of in the same boat, not just fix their problems, but go and talk to them and listen to, you know, the stuff that they have to go through every day. The, you know, what is their uh, um, delivery system, for lack of a better word. Now, I'm stealing something from Melinda Gates' latest book about understanding, you know, how you deliver information or how you deliver new technology to folks really depends on how they you know, sort of run their life every day and, and how they're going to incorporate that in their day-to-day. -day. And you, I suppose empathy is, is the, the, the key skill that, that, you know, if you really want to drive customer satisfaction or internal uh, um, satisfaction with your peers, then develop your empathy and just go listen to people. That's great advice. I think listening and empathy definitely will get you that high level or wow experience with your customers. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jim, so much. I really appreciate you being on our show. Thanks again. No problem. Stay tuned for another exciting interview just around the corner. As your organization continues to embrace and adopt new technologies, does your team have the skills required to make the most of your investments? Directions Training offers IT professional and end-user training for the most popular solutions today, including Microsoft 365, Azure, AWS, Cisco, Citrix, VMware, and much more. Our flexible delivery methods and full customized offerings make sure that you get the training you need just the way you need it in-person, virtual, on-demand, or through a blended approach. Success is a journey. Ask for directions. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com for more information today. Welcome back to Tech in the Right Direction. This week in our Women in Technology segment, I will be talking with Sarah Haggard. Sarah is a proven business leader who has led multiple startup initiatives within her decade-long career in product marketing at Microsoft. Raising $40 million to scale her last business, expert in P&L management, enterprise software, and go-to-market strategy, Sarah's tenacity and drive for results led to her being widely recognized as a turnaround expert and new business incubator. Sarah's leadership style is engaging and authentic. Her superpower is her ability to spot patterns, create high-performing teams, and activate the right people at the right time to deliver results. Sarah holds a master's degree in business administration from Seattle University and a bachelor's of arts in anthropology and business administration from Augustana College in Rock Island, Illinois. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So excited to have you. Um, can you share with us a little bit about your career path in technology? Yes, I would love to. So I actually ended up in technology a little bit by accident. Um, I actually began my career as a social scientist, uh, studied anthropology, thought I would go 
change the world kind of one person at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, realized in that pursuit that um, it would be wise to go into the business world to, you know, really uh, be able to affect change at just a higher level, Uh, you know, going out and gaining kind of that money, influence and power that I think we need to be able to affect societal change at a Mm -hmm. macro level. Um, And so I, you know, I ended up um, early on, you know, shifting my focus into business and joined Microsoft at 24 and spent over a decade uh, there at Microsoft and working in various product marketing roles and really found, uh, again, kind of by accident that I really have this love for technology and how it solves, you know, big societal problems that we have today. That's great. Um, that's interesting um, how you've influenced uh, business through technology because now business um, technology is not driving business, business is driving technology. So uh, learning the business outcomes at Microsoft has really helped you grow your career path, which is really, really interesting. So did you always know that working with technology, I know you said it was an accident, but when did you really connect and say, wow, I love technology. This is this is what I want to do. <laughs> what was that spark? What was that moment? I, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head, which is that the business today is really driving the technology agenda, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember famously telling my parents who were both technologists, you know, at, at an early age that I was never going to work with computers. Mm-hmm. I was going to work with people, you know, and, and it was... I don't even know what brought that on, except for I thought, you know, as kids do, we have to follow our parents' footsteps, you know, mm-hmm. and I was adamant that I wasn't going to do that um, because it just computers felt, you know, in, inhuman in some way. And I wasn't I didn't want any part of that. And, you know, fast forward, technology is a people business today and it is a business driven business. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I just loved that. um I could I could dig into a meaty problem I wanted to solve, and I could reverse engineer the technology that we needed to prioritize to solve that problem. And I got to do that several times over my career at Microsoft, and realized I'm kind of good at this. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, maybe this is for me after all. That's great. Um, I know you are ready to launch a an amazing app uh, this month. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so about 18 months ago, uh, January of 2018, I had this spark that, um, you know, for me as a woman in technology, uh, after spending a decade at Microsoft and having many different assigned mentors to me throughout that period, um, you know, mentorship to me always felt so necessary and needed, but so uncomfortable and awkward at the same time. And I was really just sort of Uh, There was a time in my career where I was really struggling and and looking for a female mentor, and I just didn't know even where to look or where to begin. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, about 18 months ago, I said, you know, this this is strange. We've got the technology today to be able to make mentorship more accessible and efficient and effective. um, But where is it? And so I ended up uh, creating an app uh, called Tribute. And so we're a modern mentorship uh, application, mobile first app. Um, that helps employees connect on shared life experiences. So we help people um, kind of get out of this paradigm of mentorship always has to start with our professional goals or our resumes and says, nope, we can take a more human-centric approach 
to mentorship, helping people connect in a more authentic, easy way. But we can pair that with technology that makes it more accessible uh, for all. And so that uh, that was about 18 months ago. I just left Microsoft full time a couple months ago, and now I'm uh, leading Tribute uh, full time. That's amazing. Um, so. Can you share with me a little bit about what those shared experiences are? So how do people connect? Because I think this is such an important part of what you're doing to kind of bring that human uh, side into technology. So tell me a little bit about, you know, how relationships are formed outside of technology and then how, how does it relate and how are you connecting the dots? Yeah, so, you know, one of my observations early on in my um, early on in my life, and I think what drove me to even the pursuit of, you know, an anthropology degree and, and a curiosity into social sciences has always been watching how and why humans connect. Right. Why do we connect and where do we disconnect? And I found through my own life experience and, you know, connections that I've made, uh, you know, in that time is that we we tend to sort of gravitate towards uh, what we know, uh, which can be good and bad. Uh, but we also, when we're connecting with other people, you know, and you'll notice this now in your own interactions, the next time you send an intro email to somebody, you'll, you'll connect dots naturally. You'll say, oh, you went to this college, or hey, you both grew up in the Midwest, or hey, mm -hmm. you both uh, started your career in retail, but then made the leap to technology, right? Like you, you find these little connections that we have or shared life experiences, as we call them in tribute. Um, and, and that's how humans tend to connect. And so for me, it was quite obvious that what we were missing in mentorship was this, this initial connection moment before we get to the task of mentorship. And so some of the examples of shared life experiences within tribute that you can seek mentorship around are things like, um, you know, I feel like I'm the only woman in the room or I'm a stay-at-home mom and I'm coming back to work mm -hmm. for the first time, or I'm learning how to navigate difficult conversations. I'm having trouble with a difficult boss or coworker, right? These are real lived experiences that people are going through. They're seeking mentorship around. And then we, and then somehow we go from there to putting our resumes in front of each other. And now you're my mentor. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Shouldn't we, <laughs> back up and actually acknowledge what it is that you're seeking mentorship on and find somebody who's kind of lived that experience, uh, gone through it and has the wisdom to share back with you how they were able to navigate that. And so that's where we start. With that's that's amazing. And, you know, I think back to any time we struggle with something, we think we're alone. Right. So building this community, sharing those stories, sharing that experience and knowing there are other people who are feeling that way makes you just connect with them and say, OK, what do I do? What did you do? How did you get there? So that's that's just amazing. Um, as a woman in the technology field, what are some of the challenges that you faced? Um, you know, you've been at Microsoft for 10 years and now you're starting a technology solution um, to help people uh, on mentorship, what are some of the challenges that you've uh, experienced as a woman moving down these paths? Yeah, that's a, uh, a great question. I, um, and I, and I just pause because it's like, where do I go with this? Yes. <laughs> you I mean, know, we all like, have, yeah, where do I go with this? Sure. 
experiences but, on that. You know, I think, and, and I did, I thought about this, you know, in, in preparation for this conversation. And, and honestly, what I come back to is a couple of things. I think, you know, in my lifetime, I've seen technology go from uber complex and very ex elusive and exclusive to something that's very accessible today. And I think by nature of that, you know, more women are being included in an opportunity to influence and impact technology. But I do think, um, you know, some of the challenges that I faced um, externally is that I think that there's still this belief, you know, when a woman walks in the room versus when a man walks in, that a man is just sort of anointed uh, as a technologist, whereas women have to prove ourselves a little bit more. Yeah. I think that there's that feeling, I think internally, maybe partly due to that external factor, you know, women struggle a little bit more with imposter syndrome. And mm -hmm. that's something that we, you know, dealing with our inner critic, um, you know, and really squashing that is is something that has been a challenge for me, you know, because I didn't go and com study computer science. So how dare I say I'm a technologist? Well, mm -hmm. you know, kind of going back to our earlier point with technology becoming a people business and with the business driving the technology agenda more and more, I don't have to have a computer science degree to be a technologist, to be somebody who's driving the technology agenda. And I think for me, that revelation has really helped me overcome the challenge of my own mind saying, you know, I don't deserve to be here. Yeah, I think the confidence, building our own confidence um, sometimes is more than half the battle, right? If we come in being confident and saying, yes, we can do that and then prove that we have the skills to do it. Uh, is so critical to our success. So I think you hit the nail on the head where, you know, some of the challenges are internal. Your internal critic is telling you, no, you're not qualified or you don't have that degree. Uh, but really, we have so many business skills, collaboration skills, uh, empathy, all of those things that are so critical to success of any business project that we have a lot to offer. Absolutely. So Sarah, do you feel that women have the same opportunities as men today in the tech world? You know, I think it's getting a lot better um, in my lifetime as I've seen and, and just even the focus and encouragement of more women in STEM careers. Um, but I would say that um, the true measure of the quality for women in the workplace um, you know, in the technology industry or any industry really comes down to, you know, are we able to work in a way that's compatible with the way we work, right? The way women fundamentally operate and the seasons of our life, right? Whether that's um, having children, whether mm -hmm. that's going through menopause, which, you know, is something we've never talked about right. in the right. workplace, you know, but it's so important, you know, uh, for women because, um, you know, I think we have the same opportunities in terms of, you know, can we get the job? Um, can we do the work? Uh, can we be recognized, rewarded for it? I mean, you know, you, there's places where you could say there's absolute equity there. But overall, at the macro level, I don't think we're going to have, I don't think women are going to have the same opportunities as men until, um, you know, culturally, uh, we're allowed to you know, bring our, our authentic full selves to work and we're able to go on maternity leave and have our jobs be there when we get back, um, you know, but to be able to um, have the support that a woman needs to complement um, her work, uh, that that 
truth be told, men have never needed before. And so, you know, the world is just sort of keeping on, keeping on, you know, uh, and not really acknowledging that women at different seasons and, and periods of her life are going to need different levels of support in the workplace. And I think until we really create that workplace, um, you know, women won't have that same equity and equality as men. I completely agree. Um, I think, you know, women have different life cycles, different responsibilities. Um, and until those responsibilities are equaled, we're always going to have the challenge because somehow, um, you know, we are always responsible for the children. It's not a equal, you know, the dad and the mom have the same kind of responsibilities. It's yeah. automatically assumed the woman's going to take the child to the doctor or, you know, uh, the woman can't travel because she has kids. But, you know, in a man's world, we don't think that way. They just get up and go if they need to travel or uh, they don't think they need to take the child to the doctor. So I think if we start to um, level set the expectations of who does what and equally divide that, um, mm -hmm. we still you know, have a long way to go, I think, with that. I 100% agree. And I think on that, even, you know, I'm seeing articles now where, you know, men are getting greater paternity leave and, you know, we're seeing changing rooms in men's bathrooms. I mean, it's, right. it's, it's both, right. We need to create, uh, you know, there's dads out there that want to take parental leave and go spend time with their sure. kids and take them to the doctor. And so I think, yeah, I mean, I, I think the, you know, the answer to that question is just such a cultural transformation that we need to go on that not only levels the roles that women and men play, you know, at, at home and in work, but that creates companies that allow that flexibility um, for women to, women and men, uh, to find that balance and, and also, you know, kind of separate but related, but, you know, women work just so fundamentally different than men. And, and you know, we talk about the female and the male archetype and how our thought patterns and processes work. And today I still see a very male dominant way of thinking in the workplace um, beyond just, you know, the, the sort of male oriented roles that we play. And that also needs to, and I, and I see it changing, but that needs to, uh, we need to embrace uh, more of a female archetype of way of being that's more collaborative, that's more transparent, that, you know, is more curious and asks questions. And, you know, that those types of cultural, uh, you know, or, or I would say cultural changes, but being accepted for that way of working, I think when we're able to do that, then women are going to have the same opportunities as men in the tech industry and well beyond. I completely agree. I just want to kind of share... Um one thought with you that, you know, I think it has to go back to when we're raising our children as well to raise them um, in that equal form. Because um, if a boy is crying, you'll say, oh, you know, man up. You don't need to cry. It's fine. He'll be OK. If a girl is crying, you nurture her, you hug her, you're, you're like, it's not, it's not, you know, you're trying to soothe and nurture the girl. And so we raise our kids very differently. And so the expe expectations are different as we grow. And so I, I really think that, you know, 
showing that same responsibility for boys and girls as they're growing up and raising them that way is going to help us have more equal opportunities as well. What are your thoughts on that? I 100 I percent agree. And, and I think what and I love that you brought up that example of a, a boy crying, because I think many men feel uh, that they, too, can't bring their full authentic mm-hmm. selves to work, too. Right. Like if I want to uh, slow down the conversation and ask more questions, I'm perceived as weak. Mm-hmm. You know, if I want to display empathy towards another employee, I'm weak. You know, mm-hmm. and I think um, you're absolutely right that until we recognize that equality for women and men in the workplace means an equal balance and respect for the masculine and the feminine energy and archetype and what that means, um, you know, regardless of your gender, um, until we get there from parenting to, you know, in the workplace and beyond, I think we're, we're not going to see an equi- equitable world. And, and so, you know, it's, I just bring that up because so many people think, oh, to solve this, we just need need more women in tech. And I think mm-hmm. that's part of the solution, but it's not really, to me, addressing the more fundamental uh, root cause of that inequality. Absolutely. So very true. Um, I always, I love this saying, I, I always say um, that, you know, women, when they are expressing kindness, never to take that as weakness because kindness is not weakness. Kindness is that empathy, um, you know, collaboration, working with everybody, it is not weakness. And so you you mentioned that and I thought, you know, that's my quote and it's always in my head, please don't mistake kindness for weakness. Absolutely, it's a quiet strength. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so then on the other side, what advantages do you think we have as women in the technology field today? Yeah, I think, you know, um, women just, you know, I was listening to um, Coco speak at the Women in Technology Network uh, conference this year, mm-hmm. earlier this year in, in Kansas City. And I think she said it best. She said, you know, we're in this environment today where uh, the female archetype is really what's needed to take business to the next level, right? So it's it's traits, um, and I, I use female archetype because I think, you know, I believe that both men and women exhibit masculine and feminine traits, right? Mm-hmm. We, 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 we do, and but I do believe that up until this point, the more masculine traits have been rewarded in business, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, uh, and now we're in this time of transition where some of those female traits like collaboration, curiosity, transparency, empathy, um, you know, that's what we need at this time. And so Mm -hmm. I think for women, the fact that we naturally exhibit more of that archetype uh, and that means that we're going to have more opportunities to step into positions of leadership and power because that's what the world needs right now. And it's just a fascinating time. And I'm, I'm really excited to be kind of at the forefront of that because I think it's absolutely our our time and our yes. turn to lead that's great um, those soft skills are so critical so and we come innately with them that we can really demonstrate um, that we are qualified we are we have the skills and then some 
for you know any of the technology projects that are out there. So what advice would you give to a woman who is considering a career in technology, either one that does not have a background in technology or the ones that are in a male-dominated industry, what can they do uh, to further themselves in their career? Yeah, I, I would say go for it with gusto. You deserve to be there. You have a unique voice. You have a unique opinion. Um, and really what I would say is find a mentor as soon as you can, right? And it can be a female mentor. It can be a, a male mentor. But find a mentor who is going to continue to nurture that confidence in you that you do deserve to be in the room and that you do have a unique uh, point of view. The The second thing I'll say is that it took me the better half of my 20s to understand what that unique point of view was. And so, you know, uh, developing that and understanding what it is the problem that you want to solve, what it is that you're truly passionate and what drives you um, is also something that, you know, when you have that knowledge together with a mentor and a purpose, uh, you're just unstoppable. So that's what I would say to women looking to get in technology today. Tell us how, um, when you found out what that passion was, what was that spark? How did you find it? Because I'm sure there's people out there saying, I don't know what my passion is. I have no mm. idea what I'm good at. You know, uh, what can they do to, you know, dig up that that passion and understand mm. it better? Uh, yeah, no, that's, that's a great question as well. I didn't know that for... Uh, most of my life, although now that I do know that my, you know, my passion is really around how to create a more, you know, equitable, just world. Uh, I do that uh, through mentorship. I do that by connecting humans together because I think that that makes us all feel more like we belong. Um, and, and I say that it took me most of my life to figure that out. But when I look back, the trail markers were there, right? Mm -hmm. The things that I chose to, you know, pursue and do. You know, for me, I think my best advice to someone who may be searching for what that passion or purpose is, is to ask yourself one really simple question, and that's, would you do it for free? If mm. nobody in the world paid you, and, you know, and let's say you didn't need to make another dollar ever, you know, again, because I think scarcity and ideas of, oh my gosh, I need to make money and take care of myself and get in the way a lot of, you know, what our true hearts are telling us. Um, so ask yourself, would you do it for free? And really just be curious about what are the things that um, get you amped up and get you excited. And ultimately, um, you also need to spend time with that question. That's really it. I think I avoided that question for so long because I just thought, well, that's something for a later day or a later time. You know, when I buy my house, when I have my kids, when I get married, when I have my 401k. I mean, I just kept putting all these mm -hmm. milestones, you know, that we think we have to do in a life before really sitting down with that question. And when I did that, sincerely, um, I found the answer was there all along. So That's so true. Yeah. And, and I think that's a great question. Would you be able to do, you know, would you still love it if you did it for free? Um, and I know in my business, I'm very passionate about what I do. And, you know, the bottom line and the money comes by your passion, not the other way around. You don't get passion um, from, you know, making money. Um, it, it, 
obviously you need the business to succeed and make money and be profitable and all of those things, but it comes, that automatically comes when you're passionate and excited and motivated about all the right things. Like we are so obsessed about our customers and want to always do the right thing for the customer, everything else works out. So it, it's, it's so true, that's great advice. Um, so what three words would your friends use to describe you? <laughs> I think my friends would describe me as smart, uh, driven certainly, and generous. Um, I kind of live my life uh, in a pay it forward model and have found that to be really the greatest gift uh, to myself even to live that way. And it's, uh, it's just a great way to live. That's great. Those are great um, descriptions of you. And I think um, you, you have a lot of tenacity and drive. So driven is really, really important um, characteristic of you. So they, they've kind of nailed it, nailed it and hit it on the head. So Sarah, it was such a pleasure. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Technology in the Right Direction, your source for the latest technology trends shaping the world. To download this week's show or listen to past shows, visit directionstraining.com forward slash podcast. Past shows are also available at ewnpodcastnetwork.com, as well as through iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out how to be a guest on the show, visit directionstraining.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, we hope that technology takes your business in the right direction. Calling all speakers. eWomen Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help 1 million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.